This is Current Thought, Con Edison's podcast providing a first look at the cutting edge ideas, innovations, and technology that enable us to be an energy industry leader. Welcome to Current Thought. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Corbliss. Things that are measured tend to improve. And that's why how we measure greenhouse gas is so important and so interesting. Here today to walk us through the greenhouse gas protocol we use to measure and manage GHG emissions is Bill Slade. Bill is the Emerging Issues Manager from the Office of Environmental Health and Safety at Con Edison. Hi, Bill. Thanks for being our guest today. Well, thanks for having me. I'd love to talk about these subjects. Wonderful. So let's get right to it. Bill, can you give us a snapshot about greenhouse gases and how they're currently measured? Sure. Let's uh, maybe do a little greenhouse gas 101 here. Um, Greenhouse gases are a collection of gases that trap heat in the atmosphere, just like glass in a glass greenhouse captures heat. Okay. So the most common of the greenhouse gases is carbon dioxide, which we all know, I'm sure. And methane, which is the main ingredient in natural gas, is the next largest of the or most important of the greenhouse gases. SF6 and some of the refrigerant gases are also considered greenhouse gases, uh, but of much lower magnitude than carbon dioxide and uh, methane, for sure. Now, greenhouse gases can be measured as concentrations in the environment. Um, One of the most fascinating places in the world I would love to visit sometime is a dormant volcano in Mauna Loa, Hawaii, where they measure greenhouse gases on an ongoing basis continuously for the last 20 or 30 years. But the the most important um, measurement of greenhouse gases is really the the measurement that goes into what comes out of various uh, processes and pieces of equipment, like how much greenhouse gases come out of the tailpipes of automobiles or out of power plants or oil and gas industries. Bill, could you tell us about how different types of greenhouse gas emissions are evaluated? And what is the greenhouse gas protocol? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? And the most international cooperation I think that we've ever seen on an environmental problem is the whole issue around greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide. Years ago, uh, by international convention, uh, literally by international conventions, there was agreed that greenhouse gases would be evaluated on a normalized basis against carbon dioxide. And that's called the carbon dioxide equivalent. Uh, Methane, for instance, is much more potent as a greenhouse gas So it's assigned a global warming potential of over 80. So when you have a ton of carbon dioxide, that's one ton of carbon dioxide equivalent. If you have a ton of emissions from methane, that's 80 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. So that allows uh, researchers, allows uh, businesses, it allows governments to evaluate greenhouse gases on a common basis. That being said, there are also ways to evaluate the type of emissions Uh, that were established by the World Resources Institute some years ago, and that's called the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. The Greenhouse Gas Protocol divides emissions into various types or scopes. Scope one emissions are the emissions that a a company like ours um, sends into the environment or sends up the stack um, as a result of the processes they control and operate. Scope two emissions are more indirect emissions that are associated with Uh, say, heating the buildings that we own or the losses that are associated with the electricity that comes down the transmission system and and serves our service territory. Scope three emissions, which are called most often upstream emissions, 
are emissions associated with the products that you buy or serve, but you don't have any control over them. So, uh, for instance, for Con Edison, our scope three emissions, uh, our largest scope three emissions are made up of the emissions associated with the methane or the natural gas that we sell to customers. They combust it in their stoves and their furniture as it goes up their chimneys. Those are emissions, but they're our scope three emissions because we have very little control over how big they are or how, how they are managed. So we're all speaking the same measurement language when we're talking about greenhouse gas. Right. When um, we talk about carbon dioxide equivalents, when we talk about these various scopes, this is a universal language amongst uh, businesses and nations and scientists on how to describe and think about greenhouse gas emissions into the environment. This protocol that I've talked about, this greenhouse gas protocol, has been fairly universally adopted across the international community. As you've probably heard of the uh, Conference of the Parties that was in Edinburgh and now in Egypt, this is the in all the nations gathering together to talk about controlling and managing greenhouse gas emissions and their impact on the planet. The thing that we're focusing on today is upstream emissions. Can you explain it to me? Sure. Um, I think there's a, a few things to bear in mind here. Again, going back to this concept of scope three emissions, if, if I buy an automobile, just to take an example, I wish I could, but if I buy an automobile, um, there are greenhouse gas emissions associated with the manufacture of that vehicle. And for me, those are my scope three emissions because to buy that car and to own that car, there was an impact on the environment. If I take a plane trip to Washington, D.C., there are emissions associated with that. Those are scope three emissions from my perspective and actually from the company's perspective as well. So we're hearing a lot more about this discussion around greenhouse gas emissions and scope three emissions, especially upstream emissions. And I think there's a few reasons for that, especially locally here. When the, the state of New York passed the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, which everybody refers to as the CLCPA, it determined in the language of the statute that natural gas purchasers like Con Edison have to account for the emissions associated with bringing that natural gas to our system. That means the, the drilling, the, the pumping, the storing, the compressing, and so on. There are emissions associated with that. We're considered upstream emissions, and the statute requires us to manage those, to measure those, and to report on those. As you probably know, the city of New York has um, enacted some groundbreaking rules requiring building owners to calculate the greenhouse gas footprint associated with the square footage of their building. And they also are required to consider the upstream emissions associated with the electricity that they buy, the fuel oil that they burn, the steam that they consume. Under the um, requirements uh, of the local law 97, they're required to calculate that on a per square foot basis. And, and lastly, um, when you consider the magnitude of the issues that need to be addressed around the climate, the causes of climate change, more and more there's this, this discussion about uh, scope three emissions, upstream emissions, and life cycle assessment of the total emissions package associated with any particular activity or device. How do you know upstream emissions aren't being captured twice? So let's say I am a natural gas company. I have to account for my upstream emissions. Then I send my gas to Con Edison, and it has to, it has to account for its upstream emissions for itself and its customers. Aren't those calculations being done by the company sending it along into the consumer stream? Well, you've actually captured one of the paradoxes of the greenhouse gas protocol. 
a perfect example. There is a generating company in upstate New York that's generating electricity and sends CO2 up their stack. Okay, That's their scope one emission. We take that electricity and now we have to account for their scope one as our scope three. Now that's, you know, somebody raises their hand and says, that's double counting. Well, indeed it is, but it's double counting from the perspective of who's going to manage those emissions. All right, the, the uh, gen upstate generator has rules around how much they can emit. They have to have allowances from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative Program to account for their scope one emissions. But we as a company are also being asked by our investors and by our public to ask the question, how can we reduce our scope three emissions by having that dialogue with that upstate generator? And you know, when thinking about it even in a bigger picture than that, how can we take actions as a company to reduce our scope three emissions, which in turn will reduce the scope one emissions of our suppliers. What is the life cycle of greenhouse gas emissions? What does that mean? Well, I guess the best way to explain this is to take a fairly simple example. Um, everybody loves wind turbines right, because they're so-called emissions free. Right? But when you think about a wind turbine and you think about all the steel that went into the foundations to erect it and put it on that gigantic tower. When you think about all the emissions associated with smelting the copper that went into the windings, when you think about all the um, CO2 emissions associated with manufacturing the fiberglass that goes into the turbine blades, you think about all the emissions from those huge ocean-going vessels that install those turbines in the offshore wind uh, scenario. The first megawatt that comes out of that turbine has a huge greenhouse gas burden associated with it just because of the life cycle of that turbine. Now, the more the turbine generates without emissions, obviously that greenhouse gas footprint, as we say, for that turbine goes down. But then there's also greenhouse gases associated with the dismantling of the turbine. Um, and just recently, turbine blades have become recyclable. So there's st uh, strides being made on how to reduce the decommissioning greenhouse gas emissions. But certainly when we think about the life cycle of a turbine, it's, it's not enough to just think about the days in which it's generating electricity and the wind is blowing. But what is the full life cycle greenhouse gas footprint of that turbine when you take into account all the, the, the components that went into it? As much as we admire that technology, and obviously the state of New York and Con Ed in, in turn is embracing the, the idea of offshore wind and the emissions reductions associated with it. Nevertheless, from a life cycle standpoint, there are still greenhouse gas emissions associated with, with almost any technology. Or you think about solar panels. Solar panels are made from critical minerals that have to be mined and smelted and processed. And then again, at the end of life, decommissioned and recycled. When you think about batteries, again, there's critical minerals that have to be mined, smelted, formed, decommissioned. Um, and so there's a, a great deal of effort in our industry to think more about this life cycle assessment and life cycle uh, footprint for greenhouse gases and to take steps and do research that will help to reduce those emissions from a life cycle basis. So it seems to be giving us uh, a more comprehensive view of every different energy or source. And what do you think we're going to come up with in the end? What do you, what do you think this is going to look like when everything shakes out? Well, if I knew the answer to that question, I would be living in a mansion outside of Las Vegas. Um, I think what we're seeing in our industry, and, and a lot of people are involved in this, the, the Department of Energy, the National Labs, the EPRI, NYSERDA, 
So much research is being done on finding ways to reduce the overall greenhouse gas emissions associated with the, the utility industry in general. How to reduce greenhouse gas emissions associated with natural gas production, how to re improve the efficiency of furnaces and water heaters and so on to reduce the greenhouse gases and thinking about that from a life cycle perspective. Uh, solar panel manufacturers are trying to find ways to use both sides of the panel to collect electricity. Uh, as I mentioned, the wind turbine blades are now recyclable so that they can be reused, the materials can be reused. I think where we're going is that the, the utility industry, the energy industry, is going to get to the point where they have done dramatic and remarkable things to reduce the overall greenhouse gas footprint of their uh, products and their uh, and, and the means in which energy is, is developed and transmitted. So it would seem that the more efficient we are with any energy source, the better off the upstream and downstream emissions are for it. Oh, absolutely. The the megawatt hour that you don't need, uh, the BTU of gas that you don't need, that's the, the most emissions-free resource you can think of. And so some of the programs that Con Ed has in place for energy efficiency and demand-side management and uh, non-pipeline non alternatives and the, the huge amount of work that we've been doing along those lines really helps to contribute to reducing the greenhouse gas footprint of our company and our industry. And how do these upstream emissions get managed? That's an area that is just fascinating. Um, just recently saw a demonstration of this new technology that well field owners are using. They mount this camera in a drone and they fly over their well fields and it sends a, a real-time picture back to the operators that you can see if there's equipment uh, leaking in the well field. Uh, actually, one uh, well driller, very large well driller, has developed a system where it keeps a drone in a little box. And once a day, the drone, the box opens, the drone goes out, takes a picture of the entire well field, goes back to the box and transmits the data back to headquarters. Wow, it's like a room, Bob. Yeah, exactly. Also, in the arena of certified gas, where you buy gas that has a certified low emission level, Companies have developed monitoring technologies to, um, to monitor leaks on pieces of equipment on a 24-7, 365 basis. Upstream emission modeling is being more, getting more sophisticated all the time. The EPA has a model that they call eGrid that is, a, is more and more able to tell customers in very specific regions of various states what the greenhouse gas footprint of that megawatt hour that they purchased is so that they can do their own calculations and, and management. So the technology is just um, uh, going by leaps and bounds and, and making great progress. How are we going to accomplish real change? This requires a concerted effort on both suppliers uh, and end users. And so we can become very, very sophisticated in, in measuring upstream emissions. But if the suppliers don't feel the need or the, the desire, or the urgent uh, financial uh, determination that measuring emissions and, and uh, minimizing emissions is important won't happen. But we do see those kind of things taking place in the marketplace where uh, investors, purchasers, suppliers are embracing the idea, particularly in the natural gas industry, that we have to reduce upstream emissions. There's a big market right now for liquefied natural gas in Europe, and the European Union has very strict emission requirements around gas that's imported. So suppliers that are providing gas to that market are more and more incentivized to reduce their emissions. When we, when we think about the Department of Energy and they, the programs that they have to measure the emissions associated with various appliances, 
and assigning an energy star value to water heaters and furnaces and air conditioners and so on. All those things help to both measure and manage downstream and upstream emissions uh, and that those things can be reduced through those types of programs. You looked into a crystal ball. What do you think this will have on the energy industry? I see good things coming out of this. I think what our industry has done has raised their hand and say, yes, we recognize that climate change is happening. We recognize that we are an industry that emits greenhouse gases. And we embrace the idea that we can do things to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and help solve this problem. And I think the more we look at our scope one emissions, the more we look at ways to reduce our scope three emissions and help our customers reduce their emissions in turn, uh, the more we embrace the goals and things like the CLCPA and Local Law 97 as a company and as an industry, I think we, we see good things coming out. I think what that means is that our industry will continue to be a, a pivotal player in providing what our society needs, what our, what our customers need. Do you think that based on all of this analysis that we're seeing, that it will tend to equalize the different forms of energy? Well, one of my basic ecology courses taught us this very simple principle. Diversity is stability. Okay. So I see that not only in natural systems, but I see that also in industrial systems like the energy industry. When there's a diversity of sources and nuclear combined cycle which will probably become something that's now being referred to as dispatchable emissions-free resource in the future. Wind, solar, storage, uh, small-scale hydro, large-scale hydro, uh, again, nuclear. Uh, these diverse types of, of generation will undoubtedly be what the, the future is made up of because that principle holds diversity is stability. And the more diverse resources we have, the more likely we are to be able to meet low day in and day out, which is our goal as a company. Thank you very much. Thank you for being our guest today. My pleasure. And that's our show. A special thanks to today's guest, Bill Slade. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Corbelis. If you have a technology idea, a comment, or question, send us an email to podcast at coned.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember to follow us on all our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Our handle is at Con Edison. Make sure to use our hashtag, hashtag current thought.